The reading is taken from Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. You can follow this on page 737 in the Bibles in the chairs. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. The king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. As we stand, let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that, oh, I thank you for how in this ever-changing world your word and kingdom endure. So we pray that you would speak to us now this evening from your word, not merely informing us or touching us, but by your spirit enlivening us to become more like Jesus so that you would build your kingdom in us and through us. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please do take a seat, and it'd be great to grab a Bible or for the encounter guys to get your sheets with uh, Daniel 2 open in front of you. So you can see that what I'm saying is from God's word, not just my wisdom. And as you find that, and if you were here last week, uh, I need to warn you, I've got another slightly strange question to start off with, which is, have you ever been hit by a sledgehammer? Anyone? No, me, me, me neither. But I can imagine, oh, really? <laughs> I doubt it. Um, I, I haven't either, and, uh, but I'd imagine it hurts because, you see, you use a sledgehammer when you've got something very, very, very stubborn you want to break. Like if, you want, if you're in the kitchen and you've got a tin of beans and um, uh, you want to open that, or, or, or you get your bar of dairy milk out of the cupboard and you want to you know, break off a little row, just a little, just one row will do, won't it? Um, you don't use a sledgehammer, no. But if you're trying to break concrete, you're trying to smash through some walls, then only a sledgehammer will do. And you know, the more I read the book of Daniel, the more I think it's, it's like a sledgehammer. Because there is something very, very stubborn that it wants to break. 
Something that we find, actually, in the heart of every human being. And it's this. Pride. Pride. And in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar gets hit, I think, by God's sledgehammer. Because here's Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he's king of Babylon, the greatest superpower of their day. He's, he's the most important man in the world, the richest, most powerful man. And he's proud of it. He's like a peacock. You know, peacocks, they're like, you know, they, they strut, don't they? Think Michael McIntyre. I don't know if you're into him, the comedian. But just think of but watching him live on stage. He kind of just struts, you know, like a peacock. Oh, look at me. Aren't I amazing? Uh, that's Nebuchadnezzar. He loves to strut his stuff. But God is about to bring him back down to size. As he wants to teach him, and therefore us to this lesson. Human wisdom is limited. So what's his problem in verse 1? Well, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. He can't sleep. Imagine that. He's the most powerful man in the whole world, and yet he can't sleep. Do you ever lay awake at night, tossing and turning because there's just something pressing in on you? Well, rest assured, you're not alone. That's the, most, that's, the, that's the experience of the most powerful person in the world, all the way down to the weakest. Nebuchadnezzar can't sleep. Because he's had this dream that rocks his world. Or at least it would. <laughs> if only he could understand it. Imagine that. You're the most powerful man in the world, and you can't even understand your own dream. So what does he do? Verse 2, he calls for the Babylonian Brains Trust to enlighten him. These guys are like SAS of wisdom, the Google of their day, if you like. But old King Neb, he's not daft. He knows that if he tells his dream to these wise guys, then, well, any old fool can can pull a fast one and come up with a plausible explanation and, and, uh, and rip him off. Imagine that. He's the most powerful man in the world. And he doesn't even know whether he can trust his most close advisors. That's sad. So he puts his wise men to the test in verse 5. First they have to tell him his dream then they have to explain it. Clever, huh? <laughs> clever. No, <laughs> not so much clever. It's just utterly, stupidly impossible. Uh, and that's the point that <laughs> the wise men put to him in verse 10, don't they? They say, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. And then why aren't they? It's impossible. I mean, just let's, let's, let's try it. Let's do a little experiment, shall we? When I was a little boy, very little boy, I had this dream, and I have never forgotten it. It was a while ago, okay? But I've never forgotten it. Here's what we need to do. Turn to the person next to you, see if you can guess what that dream was. I'll give you a minute. Go.
Okay, yeah, I, I t sorry, that, was, that wasn't quite a minute. I suspect, suspect, suspect some of you are actually kind of confidently psychoanalyzing me and going, yeah, yeah, I could tell what kind of dreams he had as a child. But, but let me put you out of your misery if you're not um, like that. Here's my dream. I was with my family and we were being chased by this massive monster over hill and down through valleys until we got to this valley where a train was running through it and it was arriving, old-fashioned train, steam billowing up, into the station and we ran down into the station in order to hop on board the train and be rescued from the monster only at this point, ah, quel dommage, I needed the toilet and so the family all piled onto the train and I nipped into the top but while I was in there I could hear the train pulling out of the station and the monster roaring down on the station in order to pull off the roof and destroy any of us who remained there okay who guessed that <laughs> don't <laughs> um, not no I, I, I imagine I imagine no one if someone did I mean that's absolutely freaky um, although some of you may well have uh, guessed what I discovered when I woke up, but we're not going to go into that at the moment. Um, I was just a little boy. I mean, come on, give me a break. Uh, but folks, there is a, there is, that was maybe too much knowledge. I apologize for that. Uh, folks, there's a limit to human wisdom, isn't there? And yet, there are three words that every human being hates, loathes to say, isn't there? I don't know. We hate to say that. Uh, like, have you ever been in that situation where someone said, oh, you know, do you know so-and-so, or do you, do you know where such-and-such such a place is, and, and you don't? But you find yourself going, oh, yes, oh, yes, of course I do. And no sooner is the words out of your mouth, you go, why did I say that? That's ridiculous. But we do it because we, we, we hate to say, I don't know. We hate to appear ignorant, don't we? And so we blag it. And I think we, we do that on a much bigger scale as well. We, we blag that we know what life is all about and where it's heading. Because we want folks to think that we've got it all together, that we're sorted. And so we have things like the scientific blag, where Richard Dawkins and the British Humanist Association hire buses displaying this message, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. It probably isn't good enough, is it? And it doesn't matter if we can't see God or, or somehow conduct an experiment to prove or disprove him if he simply chooses to come into the pages of human history and reveal himself, which is exactly what he has done through Jesus at Christmas. And there's mountains of evidence for that. It's a blag. Or what about the pleasure-seeking black? As friends at school make fun of you because you haven't got a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or you're not sleeping with them yet. Come on, man, they cry. Life's for living. That's what we're being told. That's the subtext of sex ed classes. The media, whether TV, films, music industry, or old-fashioned print media, sexual experiences equal fun. So get stuck in. That's the message. And if you aren't having any, then you're missing out. Even though that advice leaves a trail of relationship breakup and guilt and shame and emotional baggage and distress, sexually transmitted diseases and horrific, horrific, horrific abuses that we just don't want to talk about. 
It's a black. And then there's a religious version of this too, I think. The religious black is... As well-meaning people will tell you that, that all religions lead to God. So there's no such thing as an exclusive truth claim. you just got to follow your religion. Be, be sincere about it and try and be good. Even though all of the gods that these religions describe are so different. Christianity offers a personal relationship with God. Yet Islam makes God out to be so, so distant Hinduism offers idolatry on a, a massive industrial scale, whereas Buddhism essentially doesn't even really believe there is a God. They can't all lead to God. It, it's a black. Folks, a, a lot of human wisdom looks impressive from a distance. It seems confident that it can provide us with everything we want. Politicians and organizations, they're always reassuring us, aren't they? Oh, we've got all the answers. Yeah, yeah, trust, trust us. We've got the answers to all the problems, poverty, hunger, injustice, immigration, the NHS, whatever it might be. And we certainly know better than God in his dusty old book. But folks, that's just peacock talk. It's just boastful blagging. Human wisdom is limited way more than we think it is or will acknowledge. But secondly, God's wisdom is limitless. And this is where Daniel steps into our story. Uh, so let's check out what happens to Daniel. Uh, the king mercilessly orders uh, that all of the wise men of the land should be killed. And even though this puts Daniel himself and his friends in the firing line, he stays cool, steps up to the plate, takes responsibility, and he promises the king an answer. <laughs> Daniel, mate, do you, know, you sure you know what you're doing? Do you not remember the kind of, it's impossible bit? Well, of course, Daniel's got no chance of working out the dream. But his confidence isn't in himself, but in his God. Look with me at verse 17, will you? Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed and the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So what does Daniel do? Does he hop on his iMac and Google what to do when a despotic maniac wants to kill you and all of your work colleagues? No. Does he phone a friend? Yes. He gets his mates around, doesn't he? Do they discuss the matter at hand? No. They hold a prayer meeting. They get on their knees and they plead for mercy from God. They say, we cannot understand this, but God will reveal this to us. Do you see, when you get to an end of human wisdom and you don't know what to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. God knows. And he can tell you. Folks, this is so, so difficult for us. We're conditioned to be so self-reliant. Uh, 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 so I'm so glad I've got a friend. Who, whenever I go to him for advice and I say, listen, I, 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 I've got this sticky tri sti uh, situation. I, I really don't know how to work this through, he will always say to me, Ken, I'm so 
glad to help you. I'm really happy to talk it through. But first, we're going to pray. We're going to take this to the Lord. Why is it that our hearts have such a difficult time turning to call out to this God? We all have times of darkness and struggle, of trouble and uncertainty. And in them, we must recognize that often God is deliberately taking us to a point where we come to an end of ourselves so that we have no one else to turn to but Him. Only God knows the paths we tread. Only He sees into the dark places of our lives and knows each twist and turn, what's around the corner. We would love to know what's around the corner, wouldn't we? But only He sees. That's not because He's eaten His fair share of carrots, but because He, verse 22, reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. And so He's the only one who can lead you through your sickness, through your exam stress, through your eating disorder, through your doubts, your depression, your dysfunctional family, or whatever dark places you find yourself in this evening. But will we turn to him? He reveals what we could never know on our own. We only have to ask him. But we also have to listen to him, too. As Daniel was ready, not only to admit that he didn't know the answers to life, but to to hear from God. And so in verse 19, God reveals to Daniel the meaning of the dream. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that next time you find yourself in trouble and you call out to the Lord and you pray, then God will give you some divine download that just brushes over everything. So so you don't have to swap for your exams or, 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 or... try and wrestle through and make wise decisions about your future or or so that he will instantly lift uh, the dark thoughts that weigh so heavily down upon you in the watches of the night. No, God's primary way of revealing his wisdom to us is through the Bible. Remember, God speaks. He speaks to us through this book. He loves to speak to us. And if you want to have access to the mind of God, then you only have to pray and open up this book. And he will speak to you. He will. What a privilege it is to have God's word written down in front of us in our own language. Please, 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 I beg of you, do not miss out on that privilege this week. Well, what happens next? Well, we're going to uh, hear that as uh, Johnny's going to pick up the story from verse 31 and give us what uh, Daniel says to the king as he's brought into his presence. Johnny, over to you. <clears throat> you saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, 
its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all together were broken in pieces, and, be and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we, tell, now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he is given where, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, and you are the head of, the, head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks it to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. As you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be, div it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with the clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces, that the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to, all the, to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Thanks, Johnny. Okay, folks, one final point. As Daniel goes to the king with this message, only God holds the future. And Nebuchadnezzar asks him, so do you know my, knee, my, do you know my dream? And Daniel says, no. Verse 28, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Check out the dream. There's a big statue in verse 31, isn't there? With a head made of gold, chest and arms made of silver, belly and thighs made of bronze, legs made of iron, and then feet of, made of iron and clay. So, so very brittle, easily broken, broken. So brittle, in fact, that a rock shows up and gives it a tap, really. And the whole thing comes crashing down like a game of giant Jenga. The statue breaks into lots and lots of little pieces and it's just kind of blown away 
in the wind. So what's that all about? Well, Daniel gives an explanation in verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. <laughs> Do you hear the sound of the sledgehammer hitting Nebuchadnezzar? That's hit number one. Hitting his pride. This is the most powerful man in the world. And yet, where does his power come from? Not from him. It comes from God. It's given to him by God. His reign may be golden, but that's only because God has made it so. He only reigns because God has given him a certain set of gifts and opportunities. Think, folks, think. Everything we have is a gift from God, and we must never forget that. We talk, don't we, of self-made men or women, or making our way in the world. We think we've earned and deserved the things that we enjoy in life. But each one of us is only what God makes us to be and lets us be. And only for as long as he lets us. As Daniel goes on in verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. After you. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Bam! Hit number two of the sledgehammer for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of gold will be followed by another kingdom, and then another kingdom, and then another kingdom after that, until God pitches up and eventually establishes his kingdom, which will last forever. The wise men in verse 4, what did they say? They said, O king, live forever. But God, through Daniel, says, after you. This is the most powerful on earth, man on earth. But that's, that's all he is, just a man who, like any man or woman, will die. And will see their greatest achievements fade away with the passing of time. Like, for example, does anyone know who this person is? <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a clue actually in the, script, in the description, but anyone know why at some point this guy was thought worthy of a statue that sits in our city, not far from the River Tyne? Or do you know who won, who, who won the 2013 FA Cup and who scored the winning goal? Not that far away, but I doubt many of us do. Or do you know the name of your great-great-grandparents? Again, maybe you do, but I, but I doubt it. Let's be honest. We often act as if we'll live forever. We, we like to ignore the reality of death. No, 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 no. I'll go on. We strut around thinking that we are just so important. We're kind of peacock-like. Or we wish we were important. And we spend so much of our time doing things that will somehow elevate or improve our status or our standing with others. But in only a hundred years or so, and we'll be completely forgotten. 
we need to hear those two little words, don't we? <laughs> Let them humble us after you. After you, someone else will live in your house and sleep in your bedroom. After you, someone else will be top of the class or captain of your sports team. After you, someone else will run the school or your department or your GP practice or this church, in my case. This is just a temporary assignment. After you, life will move on and you'll be forgotten. So much of what we live for now and are fixated on will be, will be gone in just a few short years. We're not nearly as important as we would like to think we are, as we pretend to be. I don't say that to make you feel rubbish about yourself. It's just that we're supposed to see that being part of the kingdom of God is, is what really lasts what really matters, and what really gives us significance and status. Daniel describes it like this. Check out verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. God's kingdom shall stand forever. So fast forward, 600 years or so, and a guy pitches up in Galilee, and he proclaims, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's Jesus, isn't it? And he sets up a kingdom that will never end. And the Bible teaches that one day, Jesus, the great true king, will return. And all the other kingdoms will come crashing down with finality. And Jesus will be established as the king over all. And so Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar here, don't get up on yourself. Stop taking pride in yourself and start to live for what really matters. You need to change kingdoms. Folks, where are you looking to for wisdom this week in your life? Where is it, or who is it, you're looking to for security? If it's anyone other than Jesus, then you're on dangerous ground. Don't try and hedge your bets and live with, with one foot in the kingdom of the world and one foot in the kingdom of Jesus, thinking that that's actually a really safe and kind of sensible way to live your life. No, 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 no. If you do that, then your legs will be swept from under you as the rock of Jesus comes crashing in. No, put all of your confidence, all of your confidence in Christ and stand on that solid ground on the rock of Christ, Jesus. The only thing that can never be shaken and will last now and into all eternity. Why don't we take a little moment to, to think about, to pray about what that might mean for us just in the next few days. What might it look to put both legs solidly on Jesus? Let me give you a minute or so to pray by yourself and seek the Spirit's leading
Oh, Lord, in your mercy, please hear our prayers. Amen.